I should have gotten water. <laughs> Good afternoon, everybody. How's it going? My name is Nick. I'm on the sales team at Printavo, and this is Printavo University number five. We got some folks in the audience. We'd love to hear where you're watching from. So in the chat, tell us where you're in from. I'm I'm out in LA, and I will introduce my colleague here, Matt Marcotte. He's on our customer success team. He's out in Chicago. Matt, say hi to everybody. Hey, what's up, folks? Good to be with you again. Uh, I'm I'm super super stoked for all the episodes that we do. Uh, it's it's a blessing to be able to get to do these and hang out with great people. But I'm really really stoked for this one. Um, arguably some of the best water-based printers in the game. Uh, they're, they're too humble to agree to that probably, but uh, they, they literally are. So uh, without any further ado, I definitely want to make sure I introduce our wonderful guest. We've got Eric and Val from Nine Owls Prints. What's up, guys? Hi. Hi. How's everybody doing today? Everyone all right? And they're enjoying their Thursday so far? Yeah, I think, sure I think, I think the, the, the country is just kind of like in a deep holding breath pattern. Uh, but we're going <laughs> to... We're gonna we're gonna put all that away. Our brains are gonna be uh, just just on this today. We're gonna pretend the world is in a normal state of being. There's no pandemic. There's no confusion on any kind of election. We're just happy to, to nerd out with some like-minded folks. So this is this is gonna be good. Um, you guys are in Houston, right? Yeah, we sure are. Uh, it's uh, a vast, vast city that uh, you know takes an hour and a half to get from one side to the other. Uh, and it's just so expansive and, and growing more and more every day. It's insane. That's love awesome. It, we, got, we got some folks here. We got Steven from Campus Inc. What's up, Steven? How's it going? We got Zach out in California. Uh, we got Joe out in Indiana. And please do, folks, let us know where you're watching from. We love to know, you know, who, who's where. Getting some of the... Some of all the regions, all the time zones are represented right now, I think. Uh, I guess it depends on where Joe is. But uh, <laughs> otherwise, yeah, let's get into it. Let's start talking here. Uh, here's an easy one for you. Eric and Vale, tell us about Night Owl Prince and tell us about your water-based setup. Sure. Um, so Night Owls has been around for a little over 10 years. Uh, we started printing in... 2004, 2005, out of uh, my parents' garage with a two-color wooden um, tabletop? tabletop press that we bought from eBay. Uh, and we, we had a company before Night Owls, and we closed it and, uh, and rebranded ourselves as Night Owls because we wanted to take it a little bit more seriously. Um, and I think from those early days, we were really keen on trying to figure out this new magical ink we had heard of called Discharge Ink. Um, I had met someone that played in a band that worked at a print shop somewhere, and uh, and we were screen printing, and we were telling him about it, and he said, well, I work at the shop, and we printed this shirt, check this out, and he showed it to me, and uh, it was just a clear discharge print on like an army green tee, and uh, it blew my mind. I could not understand or fathom how uh, this magic worked. And uh, ever since then, we've been on this elusive hunt to, to figure it out. Um, we have been 100% water-based for two years? Two years. About, yeah, two years now. Um, we primarily use Matsui inks, Sati chemistry, um, including uh, thin thread Sati and Hypo. 
uh, yeah, I mean, we, we print water base on everything and anything. T-shirts, sweatshirts, nylon jackets, um, water base transfers. Uh, it's, you know, it's something that we feel very strongly about. Uh, we think it's a superior way. It's a superior ink system. Uh, the way that it feels, we feel is a lot better. And the fact that even though it's arguable, some of it is more eco-friendly than Plastisol. Um, we're, we're all about it. Yeah. You know, let's start at the beginning for everybody watching. I bet there's some people already printing water-based, but I know there's going to be some people watching this that don't even really know what it is. So tell us, what is the difference between water-based and Plastisol? And, and it sounds like you guys have some good reasons, but why would someone want to go all water-based? Tell us about that. You want to take this one? <laughs> I can do it if you want. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, so really for us, I mean, with water-based in general, it, it's a very generic term. With with Plastisol ink, although there are some like variations of it, I don't think that the variations are as um, complicated as it is with water-based. Water-based is a very overarching term because you have low solids, medium solids, high solids, uh, discharges, you know, all sorts of specialty effects as well. Um, so when we say water-based, it's, it's kind of a catch-all for everything. We, for the most part, use low solids, high solids, or often referred to as HSA and discharge inks. Those are the three main ones that we use. Um, as I touched on before, we feel that it provides a more superior print. And what I mean by that is like, the prints themselves are softer. If you build your inks correctly, they can have little to absolutely no feel. Um, they're typically more breathable. The kind of example we give often is like, if you've ever had a shirt with a big plastisol print on it, like a big square or rectangle, you know that feeling when that, when that pool of sweat behind that image forms on your shirt, but it's like hot. Um, you get that to some extent with HSA, but it's not nearly as as um, bad. It doesn't doesn't pull or gather moisture as much. So it's a little bit more breathable. Um, and for us, a big part of it was we saw that the rest of the world was using predominantly water-based. And we thought that it was really weird that the rest of the world was and that the US was so stuck on, you know, an, an oil-derived product. Um, and also like taking a look at the big brands of the world, you're talking about Nike and Adidas and you know Puma and, and all these things, like they're all pretty much using water base, not Plastisol. So it just struck us odd that that was like the predominant way of imprinting here in the United States. And, uh, and that really drove us to kind of dive in deeper and, and really like push ourselves to understand these inks better and, and push ourselves to become better printers, which is ultimately like you know, what, what I, I still feel is like, if you're printing water base, you're a better printer than somebody who's not. So you were actually proactive in the want to go to water base. It wasn't reactive based off of customers asks. You weren't getting the bombarded people saying, Hey, I need water base, I need water base. You made the actual conscious decision for, uh, the, the hand feel, uh, the environmental impact, all that to get ahead of that. You also kind of scope and saw that down the road, you feel it's probably going to be more prevalent and you wanted to get ahead of that curve. So you guys are proactive to jump into that water base all on your own, not because of any any inputs. Yeah, yeah and, and a lot of it too goes back to that discharge conversation as well. So like 
we print for a lot of bands and anyone who who prints for bands or, or you know band merch you know that black t-shirts with a white print is bread and butter for the majority of, of you know musicians out there so if i could go to one white discharge screen instead of having a base and a highlight or now in in some aspects of what we do two bases and a highlight white or if you want to look at how some of these prints overseas are done you know you might be looking at 8 12 25 <laughs> screens to get one white print um, it's definitely not uncommon and uh and so we we started our journey by chasing discharge and understanding how it worked and how to get away from printing under bases and we also wanted to just be proud about what we were printing that's a another key factor in it yeah it sets us apart from the majority of other print shops um, because of what we can do uh, and and the inks that we work with yeah i'm Killer. curious about that journey you know you you mentioned that it was sort of a, sort of a, a process to get to 100 percent water-based can you tell us what that was like? Like, what was the changes, and maybe even share some of the the horror stories uh, that helped you learn? Yeah, I mean, I think it goes without saying that if you are going to screen print, it doesn't matter what you're doing, you're gonna fail and you're gonna mess up, and you need to be ready and prepared for that. Mm -hmm. The learning curve with Waterbase is really steep, especially if you've only printed Plastisol or if you are just starting out. Um, there's a lot more to printing water base than just putting ink on a screen and printing that ink. You really have to know so much about your process, so much about your uh, materials that you use, your chemistry, um, and really like you have to be a little bit of a chemist to understand how to use water base incorrectly. And I mean, I can confidently say if we started printing with discharge, like probably 2007, we started like dabbling with it. I mean, I still have nightmares about jobs that we sent out the door that we were curing with, uh, you know, a, a, a two foot electric IR workhorse dryer that now that I know what, like like the, the ins and outs of it, I know we were fully sending out discharge jobs that were like not cured uh, and, you know, had like those, those kind of like, they look like leopardy spots on print, Matt. You know what I'm talking about? Where oh like, yeah, like, and they open that box, get hit with that odor. It's like, oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, like, there, there's so many stories that we have. I mean, there, there's jobs like even for clients that we work with still to this day. Um, I remember we printed like a six or seven color discharge job, and we knew how to make the inks. But we had no idea about like screen chemistry and how emulsion worked, and so like. We're just chasing these mysterious discharge lines that are appearing. More tape. Yeah, on the shirt and just like taping screens off. You know, probably spending three days printing these 600 shirts on an auto because we're having to stop every five shirts to like reassess where's this line coming from? There's no holes in the screen. Nothing is breaking down. What's going on? And so, you know, you learn a lot through experience, but you have to be ready with printing with discharge or, or any water base to just like, just eat shit for forever until like someone steps in and teaches you the right way or like teaches you the correct information. So, um, you know, if you want horror stories, we have horror stories <laughs> that we could talk about this entire podcast, but um, you just have to be ready for it and understand it's gonna be frustrating and understand it's gonna be hard. Things are so gonna go wrong. <laughs> would you guys, now when you made that decision, 
you didn't like turn a hard corner and like throw out your plastisol and just say we're dealing with it. You you like micro stepped your way into it, right? To some extent, yeah. I mean, we had probably four, maybe five pallets of plastisol ink up until earlier this year when we finally sold it all. But we have not printed any plastisol in over two years. Um, so you know, when we made that hard choice, we were already like pretty familiar with printing HSA and, and printing complex um, designs. We weren't good at it, but we were familiar with doing it. Um, and, you know, we definitely had a lot of hybrid systems of discharge underbases and plastisol tops, but like it still wasn't really giving us the results that we wanted. And I think it's- It actually caused more issues trying to do that. Yeah, and, and again, like it's because we didn't have full understanding. And I think really like once we found the appropriate people and the correct resources to start having that understanding that we were able to make that change that much quicker. Yeah. Right, would you agree? Yeah. Um, and uh and yeah so i mean you know there's so many people that we rely on for helping us even now to this day like whether it's uh danny from denver print house michelle moxley over at mnr mark coudre even mark gervais over in china like there's so many people that are so knowledgeable because although a lot of this ink is probably newer to the us like i had said earlier the rest of the world's been printing it for for quite a while so there are secrets to be unlocked, but there are also masters of, of those secrets out there. That's a really good point, Eric. And one of our questions here, they asked, is there any classes for water-based that you could recommend? You know, you're gonna learn a lot today watching this webinar, but where can people learn hands-on? Is there anybody you recommend for that? Yeah, there's there's two, two classes. One's a class and one's like a, I think it's like an eight or nine part series that that you can find on YouTube. It's it's kind of buried, but um, the the class that was the most instrumental for both of us, yeah. and I, I think that based off of some of the other attendees of this class, I can also say like help them understand it a little bit more too. Um, is that Mark Coudre, along with Virus Inks, put together this insane class called the Virus water-based mastery program and it is all it's like we don't use virus ink here although i think that the people that oversee virus and own it are master printers untouchable um the class is really more for the chemistry and the science behind what's happening with water-based than it is for actual application and there was a lot of things that we knew before that class, but that class really helped kind of like put so many ducks in a row that we came out of that class and immediately, uh, not successfully, but immediately <laughs> started doing like simulated process prints with Waterbase. Yeah. So that virus mastery class uh, through Mark Coudre was insanely helpful. I think you can still get it. It's probably around a thousand dollars. It's a little bit of like a PowerPoint-ish type of presentation and there's a lot of information. So it requires a lot of reviewing, mm -hmm. uh, but man, it's so helpful. Uh, and then um, Mark Gervais, who runs a company in China, uh, put together an MNR, I guess like, I don't know if it was a class or if it was at a trade show at some point, but it's, it's on YouTube and you can find it. And it's like a nine part series about him, 
going to work at this factory in China and not truly understanding HSA and over time having to understand how these inks work and how the chemistry works. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of talk on different Facebook groups making fun of people not having the right tools and, and things like that. But, you know, in this in this class that Mark Gervais put together in the, the webinar, he talks about going and seeing printers in China, you know, curing ink on, on tables um, with, uh, with like heat guns. And, thinking that wasn't right. But I mean, really like that's the best type of way to cure water-based ink is forced hot air. forced air. You know what I mean? Um, so that is another really, really helpful uh, tool. And again, it's a little like uh, buried, but you can find it and, and it's really, really helpful. Yeah, I know I went, I, I was lucky enough to go to one of those uh, classes at MNR um, with the folks from Virus. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the level of detail they spend on the chemistry side of what's actually going into their inks, how to use them, all that stuff. I, I couldn't agree more with what you're saying. Uh, you really got to, I, Plastisol is kind of easy to use, right? You, you know what it's going to do. You just got to get it hot, right? It's yeah. pretty, pretty, pretty basic. Um, you can add some additives and kind of make it go. You don't have to worry about it. It's really, really vital in my experience with water-based inks to first kind of take the chemistry lesson understand what's happening and how to use it, um, especially when the different kinds of water bases. And I, I will say, everybody, that we will drop a link in the uh, chat here. We've got a little uh, Google Drive. where We've got a little spreadsheet we put together of the main basic types of water-based inks. Um, so we'll, we'll link to that so you can take a look at that too. But the different kinds of water-based inks and how much water are in them and how much that drastically makes a big difference in how it acts and reacts on your press, right? Um, so. Yeah. I always kind of tell people like, hey, if you really want to start getting into water base, don't start off with the high solid acrylics, right? That you're, you're going to kill yourself trying to print a white high solid acrylic through a high mesh. Good luck. You're going to hate life. Uh, start off with either a traditional uh, water base black ink, right, on like a, a nice vintage shirt or discharge. Things that have uh, the heavier loads of water in there that want to stay open a little bit longer. Um, so what would you suggest to folks that are maybe newer to water base or have had the one attempt and it was a terrible horror story. I hear that all the time too. I tried water base one time and I hated it. It clogged my screen. It stained my screen, this or did that. Um, what, what would you recommend for somebody who either has that horror story and is like kind of uh, PTSD about their water base experience or somebody who wants to kind of get into it for the first time? I'll let Val answer on the ink. Um, but first and foremost, don't do any water base printing until you learn how to properly expose your screens. Mm -hmm. If your emulsion is not exposed or cured correctly, you're setting yourself up for failure. You're not going to, to win. Um, you know, underexposed screens and water base, you might as well just like take that screen and throw it outside because you're not gonna do anything with it anyway. <laughs> um, so that's, that's the first step is truly understanding your um, exposure of your emulsion. And not every emulsion works with water base. Uh, and as you get more comfortable with different types of water base, whether it's low solids, discharge, or high solid acrylic, the various types of breakdown that you can have are going to also be determined on how aggressive your ink is. Mm -hmm. So um, I'll turn it over to Val. She can talk about inks, I guess, a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I think the easiest would be to just start with a black water base and you want to start on like light colored garments and, and try to work your way up from there. 
low solid water base is probably the easiest to work with um, provided you have the right screens and everything um, and then I mean I'm thinking back to how we started and when we started with like speedball acrylic inks I mean that's you just go back to the basics yeah you know mm -hmm. you start start there and then you know when you feel like you're ready you know the chemistry of the ink and how it's going to react maybe go into trying to print a white print on a black shirt you can if you can master that then i think you know you're definitely on the right path yeah it's all about baby steps it's all about starting off very very simple and don't don't do what we did where you jump into 10 colors all hsa and then you're like why is this not working because now you have 10 times the problems that you have to figure out if you start with black water base on let's say like a 230 mesh then at least you have some room to kind of mess up and figure out what do i need to do how do i need to flood this how quickly can i leave my screen open before uh, the ink starts to dry in the open area of the stencil so you have to sort of figure out all these things like at your own speed with your own equipment because what works here may not work for you our environment is very different here in houston than it's going to be in denver or la or chicago and you know every shop is going to be slightly different so you take those baby steps and you just try and figure out again like piece by piece how can i print this black water base and when we say low solids that means that like the ink itself doesn't have a very high solid uh, uh, pigment count in it. And so like it's not very opaque. High solid acrylic is opaque and matches or mirrors opacity for plastisol. But the biggest thing with all of water-based ink is how like customizable it is and how how you build it. So start with something that's like ready to go, which is predominantly black, low solids water-based. I mean, like Val said, you can go to a hobby store, get speedball ink, yeah. try that. It's inexpensive. You can buy a little bit and test it. Really, speedball ink is not that much different from like what we use. Yeah. We we modify our inks a ton, so they they work better. But like right out of the bucket, speedball is pretty close. That's funny. I, I spent a lot of time doing gig poster work, um, and yeah, yeah speed speedball ink for for years, letting that air dry. Um, yeah. My first real water based printing experience with uh, apparel and water base was also speedball inks and um, having issues with it drying up the screen, adding some glycerin into it and kind of keeping it going in the screen, um, although all the wrong ways probably, but making it work. Um, so one thing I want to touch base on that you guys kind of went over briefly is emulsions. Um, I got some people in the, in the chat talking about what emulsions they like, but overall, uh, do you find there is a type of emulsion, right? Uh, probably not an SPQ. I'm assuming you're looking at like a dual cure or a straight Diazo. What do you folks uh, prefer and what have you found successful when it comes to the type of emulsion so we've been a, we've been a sake shop for a long time and honestly the reason why is when we started getting serious sati came in and they worked with us for a full day most of these emulsion manufacturers i mean covid times aside they they have people that are willing to come in and teach you how to use their product and that was huge for us so i mean we use um sati they have a they have a family of emulsion called phu uh and we use a version of it called hr and that stands for high resolution uh it isn't it is an spq and we do use diazo in our screens um but i mean we can print you know 
20,000 pieces on a screen with water base, as long as it's exposed properly, zero breakdown. Um, so like, it's all there, it's, it's easy to do, but again, you have to understand the chemistry of proper cross-linking of your emulsion. So we're big fans of Sati. Um, you can get traditional PHU, they have PHU2, PHU-HR, uh, there's one more too. I think it's more for graphics, but um, yeah, you, you you literally, you can grab that. You don't need to add diazo. You can test around with it and it will withstand several hundred prints as long as it's cured properly. Um, and SBQ emulsion really loves post-exposure too. So we're in Texas, it's super bright and sunny all the time. Anytime we make screens, we stick them out in the sun for 15, 20 minutes, bulletproof. That was actually my next question is, do you recommend with your SBQ, especially doing a post-exposure? Um, if you don't have the sun like you have in Texas, uh, folks, I recommend that you turn your vacuum off. Uh, if you have a vacuum on your exposure bed, turn your vacuum off and put it ink side facing the lights and just hit that for 100 LTUs, 200 LTUs. The more light you can give it, the better. If you do have sun outside that's shining bright, um, even, if you, if it's, even if it's winter, if, it's, if your screen's dry, but you got direct sun, Get it out there. Let it let it bake for a little bit. Uh, if not, ink side down on on your uh, your bulbs. Ideally, um, I do think it works better if you're not using an LED for post exposure. Um, if you can kind of go to a metal halide or mercury vapor or just the straight sun. Um, I don't know if you folks have had any any issues with that. Speaking of, what what type of uh, bulb do you do you folks run with your exposure? We have um, a metal halide and an LED. Uh, and although I love using the metal halide, especially for really detailed stuff, we're usually pretty lazy and just use the LED uh, all the time. Um, again, we, we have those times properly dialed in with our you know, EOM and, and how many times we're coding and things like that. So we have it all pretty dialed, but even with that, we still put screens outside, uh, especially if it's not needed right away. It just goes and sits outside for a little bit. Um, if it's raining outside, we'll post expose to the LED. But honestly, like, even if we don't stick it outside or post-expose, because we have our times dialed into, um, you know, the way our screens are emulsioned, we regularly break screens on press, remake it, like vacuum the excess water off and put it up with zero issues. Yeah. Love it. So another, another thing you guys kind of briefly mentioned that I want to talk about, um, you talked about thin thread mesh. Um, when did you guys start going to thin thread and what kind of differences did you notice with your water-based printing when you did make that transition to thin thread meshes? I don't know if I truly remember exactly when we started doing it. I know we started with S mesh um, and, uh, and I think I, we probably learned about it from fellow printers on the shirt board, which I think Facebook has, has sort of taken over some of the traffic there, but the shirt board is full of insanely knowledgeable people and tons of crazy good tips so we probably learned about it from there and started transitioning over to it um and you know pretty pretty quickly i think we realized that because the thread is thinner there's less interference from the thread so the ink can pass through easier mm -hmm. so you get a better deposit which like for again discharge that's really like key um and as we learn more about h and hsa and, and print more of it that thin thread and the way that it does the, the way that it allows more ink to pass through just makes everyone's life easier um it is a little bit more fragile but like i don't know we've been using sati's hydro mesh probably for a year and a half now instead of the s mesh i think that that's a little less fragile 
and uh, you're going to break screens and screen printing anyway. So it's <laughs> like, yeah. it's, it's, you know, you learn how to handle them properly. Do you think that that's a good starting point? If someone's looking at getting into water base, maybe make it as easy as possible, get a couple thin thread meshes from whatever supplier you have locally and start there. That way you don't have that as a, as a barrier to kind of go against. Yep. The more, you, the more ink you can put down and the more open time you have in your screens, which like if you have less threads in the open area of your screen, you're going to have less places for your ink to cling on to, then you're going to get less dry in. So yeah, absolutely. Like, start with like a 157 uh or you know if you have if you want to start with black you start with the 230. Mm -hmm. um i forget the the thread counts off the top of my head i think it's 157 48 and a 230 40. um start with that and uh and test that out but those are pretty much like although we have some other meshes that's pretty much what we use yeah, on, on everything i mean even crazy like 10 colors in process it's all 230s I love it. Now, I've heard from a lot of people that I talk to a lot of arguments on EOM when it comes to water-based printing. I've got some people are saying, hey, I go down to like an eight, nine percent EOM for my water-based. I got other folks telling me they're still rocking the standard 17 to 20 percent EOM. Um, what do you folks find when it comes to coding your screens? Do you treat it like you did with Plastisol when you're coding screens? Do you kind of thin it down a little bit to allow for less cling area for uh, surface dry? What, what do you folks recommend? Um, I feel bad talking about all this stuff, but it's more my area expertise <laughs> where the actual ink building is valves. Uh, with, with EOM, we've definitely found the thinner, the better. I mean, we've gone down to like 4% EOM before with, with fine results, but I think the more that we play around with it, like really probably somewhere between 12 to like 15 is probably ideal. Um, and for those of you who don't know, EOM is emulsion over mesh. So it's kind of like how thick your emulsion is on, on top of your mesh, which also dictates how thick your stencil is. Um, and to be honest, when we were printing Plastisol, we didn't know what EOM was. So like I, I couldn't tell you what our EOM was because like we weren't measuring it. We weren't checking it um we're we're much better printers because we were forced to be because of water base i love it all right val we're gonna dive into some stuff with you <laughs> with the water base inks how much of it do you find is is, is a real rfu so ready for use where it comes out of the bucket and you're ready to go with it versus how much time do you spend kind of being a mad chemist in your ink lab and kind of getting everything set up to actually <laughs> make it work on press because there's a lot of misnomers about the ready for use RFU systems that are out there. And I want to make sure we kind of dispel that belief that that they usually aren't always ready to out of the bucket for best performance. So what do you what do you find you like to do with your inks um, to kind of make them work the best for you folks? Um, we definitely definitely play around with our inks quite a bit. I pretty much don't use anything out of the bucket. Um, we use retarders and softeners and things like that. Um, so I would say the, the least that I have to play around with things is probably on the low, low solid side. Um, the most that I'm doing with that is retarder, um, trying to keep it open in the screen, which we don't really have issues with. Um, but then when it comes to HSA, um, we, there is no such thing as out of bucket for that one. We're, we're messing with everything from white, even the black. You know, so. Um, and when we mess with it too, it's all about like extending open time or um, 
messing with the opacity too. Again, with water, it's kind of crazy because like the inks are so customizable that you could you sort of have to build them for the specific project. Now, that being said, I mean, we have our standard like whites and blacks uh, and even grays mm -hmm. that we use, but um, we really do custom cater all of our inks to specific projects because like a 10 color SIM process that has a red 485 is going to be printed a different way than if it's like a giant vector, you know, shape of Texas. Uh, that red 485 is going to be slightly different because it's going to have different needs. Mm -hmm. So that that's a lot of what Val and her, you know, it's although Val does come up with a lot of the formulas, you know, we do have um, two people that do work in our ink room that are constantly just like testing and swatching and building formulas and modifying bases. Um, it's probably yeah. not ideal what we're doing. Um, we make it a little bit more difficult than we need to, but if I'm printing on a black hoodie versus a white t-shirt, your my inks are going to be different. Um, and we, when we do do the testing, we take the time, like, so each project I'm calling out, like, okay, this is going to need to be printed on two bases. The first base is going to be a blocker. The second base is going to be a white, you know, all these things like shift your color. And if we're trying to hit Pantones or if we're trying to like match the art, um, we need it to be right. So we're doing a lot of testing and building rings. Love it. Love it. Uh, when it comes to on press, do you have any tips or tricks or suggestions for people that are having a hard time keeping that open time happening? Maybe they're, maybe they are they're, They already have the right exposure times. They're using a thin thread mesh. Uh, they're using a reputable ink source, but they're just having the hardest time. It wants to dry up super fast in the screen, especially if they're on a manual press, right? On an automatic press, like you have less downtime before it floods and goes. If you're on a manual press, you might be sending around a five, six color job. It might have a few minutes, but where it's just flooded and just, you can't do much. What what do you recommend for those folks? Do you have any tips or tricks uh, that you've you've seen to kind of help keep that open time? Um, I would get to know your ink reps um, and ask lots of questions um, because they're going to be the best uh, about giving you like okay. So if you need to be adding additives to your ink to have that open time, there are softeners and things like that. There are there are retarders. Um, but I would be, I, I would also just make sure that whenever you're printing, um, you, you flood your screens, <laughs> don't leave it open. Um, that just leaves the, the, the possibility of ink staying in your screen. So you want to flood it before you move to your next color. If you're, if you're printing on a manual, um, but yeah, I think the, the greatest knowledge is with the people that are creating those inks. And I would say to you that like. I've found over the past couple of years, this is very like kind of uniquely, maybe not uniquely stateside, but like you you gotta understand too that like the more opaque your inks are, the more solids that are in them, the quicker they're going to want to like start evaporating. That moisture is going to evaporate out, leaving you with those just those solids, which makes your ink very gummy and kind of hard to use. Um, don't be afraid of using multiple bases. If, if you guys take anything away from like this chat, it's I, I want you to understand. And it took us a long time to come around to it. And once we did, it made our lives a lot easier. We double underbase almost everything. Um, and when I say double underbases, it, I, I truly mean we have two underbases. 
the opacity of our images are controlled by the underbases and the inks that go on top of them are a lot thinner um, and therefore they don't dry as fast. It helps with the open time. Um, and so, you know, you got to start thinking a little bit more kind of outside the traditional world of screen printing. It's, you know, it's not necessarily so much just like a quick turn and burn. These are finely tuned processes that you have to learn and understand, and they require time, knowledge, and people. And, uh, and, and unfortunately, that's really like, I think, one of the best ways to kind of keep your screens wet and not drying. Love it. Uh, okay, so I've seen a lot of different things. I've even talked about them in the past, but if, I, if I'm on Instagram, I'm seeing uh, Denver Print House, right? Or I'm even at my little print shops, I don't know if you're on the manual press and I've got the little reptile fogger, right? I see a lot of these fogging systems. Uh, do you folks utilize those? Do you find they're helpful? Uh, or do you work on some sort of other humidification control in your facility? We did try the reptile foggers. We built our own fogger. Uh, even now we have a humidification system in our warehouse, um, which is sort of silly because Houston is like 99% humidity almost every day. Uh, <laughs> That's why you're so good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's all in the humidity. Um, before noon. Yeah, before noon. Um, <laughs> But like, I mean, uh, we are, we're pretty good friends with Danny over at Denver Print House and we like to bother him as much as humanly possible. Um, and if you guys do have like more complex questions, feel free to uh, DM him because he likes talking about this stuff. Uh, but like, you know, we went back and forth with him a lot. And, and again, it goes to what I said earlier, different climates. So they're in Denver. So they, uh, you know, their climate's a lot drier than ours. But really, if your ink chemistry is built correctly, no fogging system is needed. Like we regularly do runs, stop for lunch, have our guys go out for 30 minutes, an hour, whatever, and leave screens up um, without any problem. If your inks are built with the correct additives and you know are weight, weighted and measured correctly, like it, it doesn't really matter. You don't need a fogging system. It doesn't hurt, but you don't really need it. Interesting. In yeah. All right. So another rumor that I've heard throughout the years, and I've even done it myself, and it, I don't know if it actually helps, or it's one of those things where I just think it helps, so it, it, it actually it helps, um, is taking the softener and actually rubbing that through your screen on your open image area. Um, if it built a little too much, maybe spraying some water and then kind of rinsing that through before you ink that screen. Have you ever heard of that? Or do you folks recommend anything like that to prep your screen for that print? Yeah, totally. We, we definitely don't do it as much as we should. Um, I think uh, we, we learned this trick from two different people. So um, at that virus class, uh, Colin from Lone Mountain Printing is, is like a big USA virus guy. Um, and he talked about rubbing water on the top side and the bottom side of the screen, the squeegee side and the substrate side just to sort of get rid of all the debris that may, you know, have developed, whether it's a lint in your shop or if it's outside like ours, like any you know, dirt or anything that gets on there. And then Jesse from uh, Matsui had talked to us about adding uh, softener on there. And softener is a silicone. So what that does is it helps your ink to not stick to the emulsion. It provides like a little bit of a barrier. So when your inks start evaporating, 
that water doesn't go into your emulsion and that's breaking it down if it's not properly exposed, but it also keeps that ink kind of rehydrated and, and re, you know, wetting itself. Um, you can also spray, mix silicone or excuse me, softener and water in a spray bottle and use that to, to rehydrate your inks during the runs. Mm -hmm. um, that's something we do all the time. Yeah. I also recommend like, so not only um, putting it on your, your dry screen before you put the inks on, um, if you're doing long runs, maybe doing the same thing with your squeegee and plug bar. Yeah, it helps prevent uh, ink from climbing, mm -hmm. if, especially if it's I hadn't thought of that. That's actually great. Speaking of, uh, a lot of people that I've, I've talked with, they're having a lot of issues with it drying from the screen. And I look at what they're doing, and they've got an old uh, squeegee in there. They don't have a sharp edge. Uh, how much of a difference do you feel the correct durometer as well as a sharp edge makes, especially when dealing with water-based inks? Durometers are really important for the um, deposit that you want to put down. So using the right durometer uh, is, is critical to the end result. Uh, we swap squeegees out all the time. Um, and a sharp blade will definitely give you a crisper, better print. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I think that really anybody that's ever printed with a dull blade, sharpened it, and then reprinted it with a sharper blade, they'll, they'll understand what we're talking about. So it, it is important, but the durometer really affects the deposit, which is really important um, on the project, dependent on the project, mm -hmm. what you're trying to achieve, what your customer wants, and what the final outcome of, of the art needs to be. Yeah, so what do, you, what do you guys run? We run a mixture of a whole bunch of stuff, just depending on the project. Um, we do use a lot of triple durometers. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but um you know uh the 62 70 62 which i think is like like ryanette sells this blade actually it's like a blue white blue uh triple durometer mm -hmm. they could be any color so it's not really helpful <laughs> um, if you talk to colin at ryanette he'll know exactly what i'm talking about but that is great for you know laying down a lot of ink so mm -hmm. For testing purposes, once you graduate past your black water base, or even with black water base, if it's a big blocky image, use a squeegee like that. You want something that's going to put down um, a lot of ink. Mm -hmm. uh, when you get to more advanced features, the control of the deposit is super important because you actually want to put the least amount of ink down. Um, and so, again, it just depends on the project that you're working on. Yeah, for sure. I dig it. Okay, so I've got a, a big question here. Everything we've talked about sounds like it takes a lot of time. So I'm sure a lot of the people that are watching are going to be wondering, how the heck can you afford that, right? So I'm going to assume that you folks are going to be charging a premium because you offer a premium product, right? Your, your prints are going to be softer. Uh, they're going to probably withstand longer. They're going to have a better feel, better breathability. Is that how you folks are able to do that? Are you considered more of a premium charge compared to anybody who you might consider a competitor in your market? I'll let you take that. Oh, really? <laughs> yes, uh, we do um, have a premium price to... We, we, are, we are an expensive print shop. Yeah. Um, we are not just throwing ink on shirts. Uh, Val is like the hardest working person here and she oversees art room, ink room and production. 
I get to sit on podcasts like this and pretend I know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> but it, uh, it it does take a lot of time, and we do charge accordingly. And you know, we we get asked that a lot of about you know how how are we able to do this? And um, one, we're just really stupid. That's like <laughs> the the best thing I could say about it because like it's really frustrating working with this ink and, and we're constantly figuring stuff out and refiguring it out. Um, but once we got more comfortable with it, you know, we started to show off more what we can do and that did bring people to us. Um, you know, it, it, we, we were able to carve out our own niche based off of what we're doing. And if any brand is truly aware of, you know, screen printing techniques, I'm sure most people on here know, they always get asked like, I want discharge. I want discharge on this. I want to be the softest thing. And it's because they heard that, you know, discharge is the softest print that you can get. And most of the time they're correct. But as you know, Matt, and hopefully some of the people on here do too, discharge doesn't work for everything. And so we're able to come with them or come to them with alternatives and say like, well, this, you know, 50-50 Gildan t-shirt that you want to print on is not going to give you the desired results here's the next best thing. Oh, and by the way, it's eco-friendly. It's still going to be pretty soft. Um, and over time, our clients, they just come to us now because of quality. Like, it doesn't matter what inks that we're using. Um, we still get people from time to time coming to us because we only print water-based, but ultimately it's just based off of like the quality that we're able to output. And a lot of that comes to just like, um, how crazy we we are and a lot of that is like attested to Val for sure. <laughs> I love it. So you brought up a good point about uh, discharge not working on everything. Um, do you find that you have to constantly do testings to make sure that garments are going to work? Do you have issues with double dyes ever or how frequently? Um, and do you have like a strict rule where it has to be 100% cotton or 100% uh, bamboo or jute? Uh, or do you allow for some blends and allow for some of that, that play and just make sure the customer knows? Um, we've done quite a bit of testing, um, sometimes by accident, um, to find out like what discharges and what doesn't, I do have a list of that, but again, you know, when you get something that is double dyed, um, that's not going to work. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we had a big project that we were doing for a recurring customer like a week or two ago, um, 1500 shirts and, uh, one side of the print is, is a red next level T I'll, I'll throw them under the bus. I don't care. Uh, red next level T, one side discharged fine with white ink like it normally does, and the back side didn't. The back side was a, a double dyed material that was unsewn together because it was a seamed shirt. And, wow. uh, you know, like, what do you do in that instance? Well, um, now we're going back and forth with our vendors and next level, but we just were like, we need to get these to our customers. And we had to reorder 1500 shirts because, like, it's, you know, our customer isn't saying these specifically need to be discharged. Um, we know that discharge works typically on that, that project. So we went ahead and did it. Um, so you, again, you have to be ready for failure and with discharge, especially there's so many unknowns outside of your facility that you have to understand that you're sort of taking that risk. And oftentimes, even on hundred percent cotton goods, we just go with HSA because it's like a safer bet. We don't want to have to deal with the headache. Um, and, and you know, the shirts that people talk down on the most, like Gildan 5000s, literally never had a problem with Discharge, ever. And, you know, yep. we're, we're talking thousands of prints a month with Discharge on Gildan 5000s. So um, 
big ups to them for actually controlling their their dialogues and stuff like that. Yeah. Wow. So that's crazy. So you couldn't just go to HSA in the back because you already had a print on the front that was discharged. You'd have two different ink sets, two different hand feels. So you couldn't deliver that. I've never heard of that one. A double die and a single die sewn together. That is a nightmare. Yeah. We we also had. I don't know if it was the same week or not, but we also had two um, hoodie prints that we were doing, uh, which resulted in the same issues where different locations were dying different ways. Now, I will say, you know, typically next level and um, in this case for the hoodies independent are pretty trustworthy when it comes to that type of stuff. But with COVID happening, you know, who knows where where we were pulling the stock from, if it was at the end of stock inventory for these items, um, was there something wrong with like the dye process or the enzyme wash with with these things that um, affected the reactive dye in the garments? Like, it's really, really difficult to trace. And, and again, it's just like the type of thing where it's like, well, we can sit here and argue with the manufacturers, but our clients still don't have their shirts. So we just need to like own up to it and buy buy new goods. Wow. I think that's what makes you guys some of the best then you customer facing, make sure to take care of the customer and offering a superior product. That is a nightmare though. I do not envy for having to go through that one. That's, that's pretty brutal. Um, yeah. And I mean, our, our print runs are usually like, you know, they're usually a hundred to 144 pieces. So it's not going to like, not going to break the bank, but it's still like, no one wants to have to repurchase goods after you printed things and reprint them again. Um, so yeah, it's not an ideal situation, but that's, you know, part of the gamble you take when you print with discharge. Yep. Amen. Um, so when it comes to the screens, another thing that I've seen a lot of people do is they will avoid having any metadata on their screens. They'll even get to the point where they're not having registration marks on the screens because they know that running water base, oftentimes that evaporation will release the tape and you start having that issue like you're chasing tape lines. Uh, do you folks do that? Do you have a, do you just go ahead and still tape and uh, lower the amount of reg marks you have? What do you recommend for people trying to get into that world and start printing water base? I definitely recommend trying to stay away from registration marks. That doesn't mean we don't use them though. Um, when it comes to like high color count jobs, I still I still use them um, when, as much as possible. I try not to put them on discharge screens. Um, it does happen though, and we will still tape them. Yeah, we we tend to use like PMI um, split tape. Uh, the the big thing about using tape and discharge screens is you have to make sure that the adhesive of the tape is making like a firm seal on it. Um, so oftentimes what we'll do is we'll, we'll test everything with the reg marks, clean all of our screens out, let them, let them kind of dry, and then we'll apply tape with like a cleanup card or a piece of cardboard. So it's like firmly bonded and flat on the emulsion. Um, another trick that I know about, we, we don't use here, but I know a lot of people have had success with it, is uh, nail polish. Clear nail polish. Clear, clear nail polish. I guess it could be color too, but um, Interesting. It, it, you know, it helps prevent any leakage. But again, you have to make sure that your, your coat, your nail polish coat is sufficient enough <laughs> to truly block out all reg marks and, and data that are on the screens. I'd never heard of that. I mean, it makes sense. They're usually acrylic based anyways, nail polishes, yeah. and you can Not start to make your hands look super fly while you're at work. So yes. uh, I, I, that's a that's a that's a new tip I've not heard. So I appreciate that one. I'm going to give that a shot. 
Um, I want to give, we got a couple minutes. I think we lost Nick, unfortunately. His connection was was, was no good, but that's okay. Um, I want to open it up to you. Do we have any questions? Um, feel free to drop them in the comments or in the question area. Uh, I know that we've got one someone asked about um, if, if you've got an LED exposure, is there an average time for exposing? Um, we kind of went over that a bit on our screen uh, episode, so feel free to go back to that one. It's kind of impossible to give somebody an estimate of time. Uh, exposure units are different. Even your LED bulbs are different. Uh, your Molson is different. Your EOM is different. Your, there, there's too many variables. Um, definitely uh, start with uh, reaching out to your supplier, see if they can kind of give you a hint, um, or definitely make sure you're using an exposure calculator. Uh, with that question, Eric and Val, how frequently do you check your exposure calculations? Pretty, pretty frequently. Um, we don't use a calculator, though. We tend to use a Stouffer strip, which, um, again, we use Sati, and I'm sure there's other people that private label them, but... Um, you know, anytime we we run out of them, we can either get them from our uh, Sati vendors or from Sati directly. And they're these like little, like, I don't know, maybe like seven inch pieces of film that you like tape on the side of your screen. And what they're measuring is your, um, your stencil durability. And so it gives you a really clear indication of whether you're underexposed or overexposed, and therefore that relates to how durable your stencil, your emulsion is going to be. Um, they're really inexpensive. We have tons of them. Uh, so I can't recommend them enough. Like they're just a simple, easy tool that can literally be taped onto any screen. Um, we just keep them off to the side of our exposure unit. And if we're like having any issues or, or seeing anything weird, we slap one on and immediately like measure our results. And uh, if, you know, if something is off with our exposure, there's like a calculator on the paper packet that the Stouffer strips come on that tell you what to do if you're under or over and how to adjust your time. It's like, it's pretty easy to use. And usually hitting like a seven is what you're looking for, I believe, right, on, on the Stouffer? Yeah, it's a little different when you're using like CTS because you, you don't have to account for the wax. So like, um, you'll often hear people say you need a solid seven or a solid six. And what that means is that like anything below that number on your Stouffer strip is completely solid, unable to rinse out. If you're exposing it and you're seeing, you know, uh, five, four, one, the little logo on it, you're completely underexposed and you have to up your exposure uh, immensely. So you just get a complete solid block up to that seven. Love it. And you can get those on Amazon too. Uh, the little Stouffer step wedge scales, they're, they're, they're great. Um, got a question here. Someone's sold to use Lucas Oil Speed Wax on screens to help water-based ink move through the screen. Um, I've never heard of using wax on the screen, um, but I would assume it might do something similar to using the softener or adding a silicone base, uh, anything to avoid yeah. any, any ink cling, right? I'm, I'm agreeing with you on that. I've never heard of that yeah. either. It doesn't mean it can't be used. I, I, you know, I don't know exactly what that wax is, so I imagine there's probably like a, an additional cost for using it versus like buying like Matsui softener or someone else's sort of like um, silicone softener. But again, it's just a way to help protect your emulsion and your ink at the same time um, by keeping that moisture more in the ink. It creates that barrier between the two. Love it. Um, so one thing I want to also call out, guys, is we we put that link out there. I can have them drop in the comments again. Uh, in that link, we've got a little PDF. Uh, the folks over here, Eric and Val, were nice enough to give me the little rundown on what their main types of inks are. So we made a little like a 
Waterbase Ink Guide. Uh, feel free to use that as your own little cheat sheet as you kind of get into the Waterbase world. Uh, they were also kind enough to give us a fun little graphic that has a uh, squeegee and it has their Night Owls Prince logo right in the center of it. You can change that logo out. We would love to see you folks uh, output that artboard, uh, make your screen and try out your hand in Waterbase. Uh, definitely, like Val said, maybe start off with that low solids acrylic black. Uh, if you're really not sure where to get that, go to your local Hobby Lobby. Go go to any any store and get that uh, that Speedball ink. It, it's it's a great one. It's a great way to get started into there. Um, and a question that also came in there was talking about printing on cardboard boxes. That same Speedball ink that you want to practice with on your first shirt with that awesome uh, Nighthouse Prince logo. You can put your own own in there. That squeegee. You can also try that on your your boxes. You can actually print your own boxes and let them air dry with that Speedball ink. And now you can have some branded boxes. Uh, but we would love to see you folks use that image, drop your own logo in there or keep the Night Owls logo in there. I'm sure they wouldn't mind. Uh, do a print, put it on Instagram, make sure to tag Night Owls Prints and Printavo. We want to see what you folks are doing. And if you have issues while you're doing it, put it up on Instagram anyways, tag us and be like, hey, this dried, what did I do wrong? And we'll yeah. probably give you the nine things you did wrong or the two things. We'll give you some little <laughs> tips and tricks, but we'll have some fun with it. Don't be afraid to ask the dumb questions too. If you're if you're on Instagram, you look at it, you can of course hit us up Printavo, Nighthouse Prince, uh, Markot.inks mine. We would love to help. I also see that Danny looks like he just finally joined in so that the master comes to the class at the end, standard. Uh, but guys like Danny, uh, his, his production manager, also Ryan, uh, people that are out there that love to love to nerd out and love to talk. So uh, please. If you have more questions after this, make sure to reach out to us. We're happy to help. I'm sure, although Night House Prince folks are super busy, uh, I know that whenever I've got questions, I can reach out to them, and they're always way too nice to me uh, and, and give me any insights. So I'm sure that they'll be happy to do the same for you guys too. Yeah, please, please message us and let us know. I mean, um, you know, I, I, we joke about Danny a lot, but like truly, like there's very few people in this industry who have been as kind and um, as willing to like put up with like our bullshit as as he is. I mean. I must have asked him so many uh, things. He's trying to roast me right now. Uh, but yeah, like I, I asked him, I talked to him this morning about stupid shit that I probably should know already. So please like let us know. And, and that image that we sent over to you, like, um, like Matt said, replace your our logo with yours. And the image is meant to be a way for you to test and progress. So start start with all black and then do all white and then set up the art again and do it as black and white and then add an underbase but like it's a super simple image that's really blocky um you can't really go wrong so just just test because really the only way to work with water base and uh and, and get it better is to just like keep messing up and keep learning from your mistakes so um that's really the best thing i can say so before we go, we did get one more question in there. Uh, someone asked, maybe they missed this during the comments, but do you recommend a migration blocker on your athletic garments? So that's a great question, right? We're not we're gonna be doing high solid acrylics, uh, even if we're on like a stretchy garment or a polyester, a nylon, something that we know is gonna bleed. Uh, so do you folks recommend using a dye blocker HSA? Yeah, um, and this is something that we learned oddly, not oddly, but funny enough from, from Danny. Um, we pretty much use only Matsui here. And so Matsui has a lot of additives that you can add in that reduce the cure time, uh, or excuse me, the cure temperature, um, which is is huge for water base. And so for a long time, we weren't. And then, you know, we started talking to Danny and he's like, it just takes one time. 
and it took one time. Uh, and so we uh, we started going over to use blockers and we use them all the time. And again, don't be afraid to use multiple bases. Mm -hmm. uh, I understand not everyone is going to have a press that can accommodate that, but like on some of these like weird digital camo stuff, uh, like digital camo fleece or tees, we regularly we use two um, blocker bases and then a white base on top of it. Like it's, I don't know, it, we'd rather be safe. So um, yeah. Matsui it, makes a killer one. They do, they have a black blocker. Um, it's it's great. <laughs> um, I would not recommend printing that on nylon. I, we use a completely different. Yeah, we use a different water base sink for, for nylon. Nylon is its own separate thing that you yeah. need to sort of find like your own tips and tricks for um, because it is kind of tricky, but like, mm -hmm. like water base is a perfect, perfect ink technology for that. Yeah. Uh, if you find the right type of water base. Got it. So you're even doing three under bases at times, right? So two blockers and a white, and then your colors on top of that, you folks yeah. find you can still get a softer imprint than you would had you done Plastisol with that. It's all about <laughs> deposit and the deposit of the bases uh, is what's controlling your opacity. So if you can get thin deposits for your bases, then you have the added benefit of sealing your, your fibers on your t-shirt, and then it's all smooth sailing from there. So it goes back to what we were saying earlier, correct screen meshes, correct EOM, correct squeegee choices, and correct chemistry for your inks. Love it. And Danny actually made a good point in there too. That's definitely worth uh, knowing. Learn to modify that black blocker with white. Um, so yes. I've always done that in the past. I, I didn't know if, if that was a good thing or a bad thing that I was just doing. Um, but oftentimes adding some of the white in there kind of makes it a bit of a gray blocker, but also helps with my open time and my, my flow ability. Uh, do you yeah. find that's the same? Do you recommend doing that as well? Absolutely. Um, I, I use uh, white mixed in with the, the black blocker from Matsui. I, I think they have a ready for use um, mixture of the two as well. I'm not sure like what um, Danny's talking about Avian, which is like what they use at, in Denver Print House. And I'm sure they, they have a solution. Honestly, any uh, manufacturer of HSA will have some sort of blocking solution. With, with what we do here, we test a lot of the Matsui products and, and they're constantly coming out with like uh, with RFU types of inks. Mm -hmm. And I know that there is like an RFU gray blocker that they have. Yeah. Awesome, love it. All right, folks, any any last minute questions? I gotta let uh, let the great people at Night Owls Prints get back to get back to work. But any, any last minute questions before we close it up? No, awesome, all right. Who is Danny? What's his Instagram? I wanna bug him with some questions. Uh, Danny. At Denver uh, Print House, uh, they're a great shop in Denver. Um, they really like pop-ins and, uh, I'm not, I'm not joking. Um, he is really, really, really accommodating with his time, um, and truly loves being a nerd about screen printing. Um, and he is also looking for people to hire him for consulting. So if you have, uh, issues with Waterbase, uh, Danny will come in and solve all of your problems because that's what he does. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you guys doing this. Uh, Awesome speaking with you. Uh, obviously, a lot of information shared from you folks. I really do appreciate it. And everybody, make sure you do grab that uh, that file and that link we put in the chat. Uh, download that artboard, print it out, share with us your successes, your failures, your tribulations, your trials, all of that when it comes to getting into Waterbase. Uh, keep an eye on the rest of our videos. We're coming out with more, and this will be able to be re-seen again on this channel or on YouTube here in a week or so. 
Uh, thanks again, Eric and Val. I really, really appreciate it. And from Nick, my partner who disappeared halfway through here, uh, he, of course, says thank you as well. So thank you again, guys. Appreciate it. Everybody in the chat, thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me.